My name is Christian. And I'm Rob. And this is Faith 168. There are 168 hours in every week. And in those 168 hours, we need Jesus to make it through. So join us every week as we share devotions, talk about standing boldly in the Word of God, and answer tough questions submitted by you, our listeners. Welcome Welcome to to Faith 168. So glad you could be here today. If you will, turn over to Acts chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16. And there's one thing uh, that many people have done over the years, and they're braver people than I am. Uh, But sometimes people have formed ministries, um, and they have named their ministries after themselves. For example, uh, someone might tell you that if I were to uh, form all the different things that I do and put it into one category, that I could create this group called Christian McKenzie Ministries. Uh, And though I don't condemn that, though I don't look at people and say, hey, you shouldn't do that, I say that they're a lot braver than I am because my name, just quite honestly, is not that great. It doesn't have a lot of power to it. And also sometimes I get a little boastful and if I keep hearing my name too many times, I might think, yeah, this is my ministry. When indeed it's not my ministry, but it's the ministry of Christ that he has put me in to not be the boss of, but to be the servant of his ministries. But as we go into this time in history, we're, we're definitely experiencing a lot of different things here in this world. We're told that we find power in certain things. We are told that we will find our power in our identity. Your identity uh, can be found, the world will tell you, in your job, that you must look at your job and say, this is my identity, but I promise you it's not. They will tell you to look at your family, your bloodline, and they'll tell you that you find your identity in your family. And though many people have great relationships with their families, I can promise you that identifying yourself by your family will still always leave you let down and wanting. Today we even hear the term that you will find your identity in your sexuality. But that's also something that is a lie that constantly lets people down, and we see this through psychological data that has been collected for a number of decades, showing that when you identify in any of these things, you find your identity in these things, you are always at some point let down and feel hopeless. Another thing we learned today is that you can completely make up your identity at any moment, any time. If you feel different one day, you can identify as whatever you would like to. You can identify as an opposite gender. You can identify as an animal. You can identify as nothing. Uh, I've seen actually some videos where people identify themselves as demons and goddesses and things of that nature as well and expect to be treated as such and uh, even worshipped in some areas. 
But out of all of these things that the world names has power, none of these has power compared to the name of Jesus. And so when I look at these things in the world, sometimes it brings me down a little bit. Sometimes I get a little bit stressed out. Sometimes I want to pull out the remaining hair that I have left in my head. And sometimes I even stress, there's times as I see some of these videos that pop up and hear some of these new things that are coming out that I feel like all of a sudden my chest is tightening up and it's hard for me to breathe and I'm thinking, how in the world can we be here at this place in this society today? How are we here? But then I start reading the Bible and I realize no matter how much power the world gives to any of these ideologies that all I have to do to find my ground once again is focus on the most powerful name of all. And that is the name of Jesus. So let us today look at Peter and John in Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through 16, as they boldly proclaim the name of Jesus in a lost and dying society. But before we go to the scripture today, let us go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for bringing us together to worship your holy name. Father, as we go into this time of reading your word, help us to put all opinions aside, help us to put all distractions aside, and focus on what your spirit is speaking into our lives today. Help us to take these things, learn from these things, and apply your truth to our lives as we go out and become ambassadors of your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So if you will, let's just go ahead and read the first ten verses together in Acts chapter 3. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, Look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and his ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. And I love this story here in the book of Acts, and as we look at the significance that it holds to today. You see, something beautiful happened at the gate called Beautiful. And one thing I see, first and foremost, that we oftentimes forget as a church, 
is that what did the welfare system used to be? Did the government do handouts and things like that? What's one thing we always realize, too, about when we give the government a job, they usually do what with it? They mess it up. They, they uh, do these jobs, the, the welfare system, the, the uh, different things like education and stuff like that that we put into the government's hands. They look at it through a worldly aspect and then they put in all the worldly junk and what happens is we see those things start to mess up and break apart. And I hear so many Christians today complain about the welfare system which is easy to complain about. You look at it, it's a broken system, right? But the church is the one that gave the welfare system up. Because very, the very first idea of welfare came from the people of God taking care of one another. Seeing someone that couldn't walk and saying, you know what, that person cannot walk, I can walk. They, they need some type of nourishment, they need some type of financing, and then these people would know that if they could go and sit outside of the church, even though they were poor and they were crippled and they were malnourished even at some points, that people would pass by and say, because I am a person of God, because I follow God, I'm going to take care of you. And that system seemed to work beautifully. So this lame man from birth, he knew that he could come to the people of God. That's why he was outside the temple. But now, what do we hear when someone asks for help from a church a lot of times? How much is that going to cost? That's a big one. Does that mean that we shouldn't be good stewards of the money that, that God has granted us? Of course we should. But I heard it explained one time as I was passing this guy outside of a Walmart, and you can do that here too. You can pass outside a Walmart. There will be someone there with a sign. And one day this guy stops, and he gives that person money. I'm with him, and I said, you know, he's probably going to go spend that on alcohol. And then he looked at me dead in the eye. I'm supposed to be the spiritual leader for some reason in this situation. And he said, that will be between him and God. I answered God's call today. Whether he spends that money on the things that God tells him to spend the money on, or he spends it on alcohol, that will be between him and God. It's not for you to necessarily determine all those things. And even to this day, sometimes I will pass by, and the first thought in my head is I see someone out there with a sign is, oh, it's instilled in me almost, oh, they're not going to use that money for the right things. But then I hear those words of that man saying, it's not for you to decide. That's between him and God. You do as you are called. When someone's in need, help them where God calls you. That doesn't mean hand out everything everywhere you see. But if God says, give that person money, what should you do? In 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 through 18, it says, If anyone has this world's goods and sees his fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in speech, but in action and in truth. 
We like to talk the big Christian game. We like to talk about serving others. We like to gather around and pray for others and hope that they're going to do better. But sometimes when God says, you know what, you're praying about that, but I'm going to call you to be an answer to that prayer, what do we do? All of a sudden, well, that's not for me. That's a little bit too much. That's when faith is called into action. But let the love of God lead you to action. To take notice of the poor and needy. But don't be someone, we see in this passage, don't be someone that when you see the poor and needy, that the only thing you think you're called to do is to throw money at the problem. So there's an even deeper aspect to that. We see that in churches quite often. We see that when we're called to give, too, sometimes quite often. We give and we walk away. But people, listen very closely, people need Jesus more than they need money. If God calls you to give a stranger some money, I can promise you in the call of God, he's not going to say, just throw something at him and go away. God's very personable. When Jesus, he encounters someone that's poor and needy, does he just say, okay, here's this and be gone with you? No, he looks into their very soul and he says, here's this big problem in your life and I'm going to stand beside you for a little bit until we can confront this issue, until we can move forward. And you're not only going to get a physical healing today or a physical blessing today, but I am going to spiritually make you well today as well. And so, so many times we get into this action of throwing money at things, whether it be to a person in need, whether it be to a program within the church. We don't need to get into that monotonous motion of, here's my money, here's my money, here's my money. Don't expect me to do anything else. Because see, what happened here, Peter, he didn't necessarily have money to give, but he had something even important to give. He gave him something better saying, what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. You see, that guy would have been fine there that day. It was something that he was used to doing. He had probably come to terms with the fact that he was never going to get up and walk and that the rest of his life he was going to be carried outside of this temple. He was going to beg for money. He was going to turn around and use that money to get whatever he could to eat and then go back there for the next appointed time as the people would come in for the scripture reading or prayer but he received something better than money that day. He received the most powerful name. The name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And Peter was very specific in this. He was very specific in naming who he was talking about. He said, I am uh, telling you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth to rise up. You see, the name of Jesus unlike today, was extremely common. 
It was the Greek derivative of the Hebrew name Joshua. And so when you read of that story of Moses and then Joshua, Moses who gave the law was not able to lead people into the promised land, but Joshua was a representative of who Christ was going to be because Moses under the law couldn't lead anyone anywhere. But Joshua was a representation of the grace of God leading the children of Israel back into the promised land. And so Jesus' name, Yeshua, in Hebrew, was Joshua. And he says, I give you healing in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, bringing to thought uh, uh, this thing that Nathaniel once said about the Messiah coming from Nazareth. If you read in John chapter 1, verse 45 through 46, it says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Very specific in that. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. And y'all remember I went to school for poetry, right? And so this is probably some of the most poetic stuff you can read right here, the, the symbolism that you, you read in this, the poetic side of God is, is shown. A man with this ugly infirmity sits outside the beautiful gate because he's probably not allowed to go in and worship with everybody else because a lot of people thought if you were crippled, that was because you were a sinner and you were being punished by God. And he sits outside of this gate, this beautiful gate with this ugly infirmity, doing something that, that is detestable. He's asking people for money, but is given something so much more valuable, something so much more beautiful than he could have ever expected. The healing of God brought about by a common name attached to an ugly place called Nazareth. He looks at this man and says, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And here's what's beautiful about this. I struggled with this a lot in my life. Has anyone ever looked at themselves in the mirror and couldn't stand themselves? Still to this day, I, if I can be honest with you, there's times I look at myself and I, how, how could God use me? When it gets time for camp season and I'm praying about reaching out to these students or when I'm working with youth or even when I'm standing up preaching, sometimes I feel small. I feel, I feel like there's no way that God could use a horrible person like me and then the devil starts his little attack mode on me to where I'm constantly saying, man, I'm ugly, I'm ugly, I'm ugly. Not necessarily in the looks because I know I'm beautiful. Katie says so every day. Don't tell her I said that. But she'll agree. But I feel ugly sometimes inside. And I feel unworthy. But then I read things like this and I realize Jesus makes ugly things beautiful. So when Jesus looks at me, even though I feel ugly, he says it doesn't matter 
that you feel ugly. It doesn't matter that you are weak. It doesn't matter that you can't do this because I'm going to come into your life and I'm going to do something beautiful with you. You might feel ugly. You might think that you are ugly, but I think you are beautiful and I'm going to help you stand on your feet and I'm going to do something great through you. And if you don't like the word ugly, you can use the word unsightly. Sounds a little better sometimes. Another point we see here is that we need to stop waiting for people to come to Jesus. And what do we need to do? We need to take Jesus to them. You see, it was very easy. People, day after day, tossed money at this guy, and then they walked into a place of worship, and they worshiped together while leaving him on the outside. But no one ever stopped and said, hey, can we carry you in? Because they had these preconceived notions, these, uh, these instilled prejudices uh, against people with infirmities like that. But none of them invited him in. They were fine with him being out there. None of them would stop by and say, hey, let me talk to you more about God. Nobody stopped by and said, hey, can I talk to you more about Jesus? Because if they had, we would have probably seen a different scenario with this guy at this moment. But so often we pass this lost and dying world, these spiritually crippled people all around us, and we're good at throwing money at the situation. We're good at saying things like, God bless you, or I'll pray for you. But how many times do we just really share Jesus with them? And notice the man's immediate reaction when he is healed by the name of Jesus. His immediate reaction is he goes from a man that could hardly do anything to jumping up and leaping and bounding into a place of worship that he had never got to enter before and his his first reaction was to worship the living God, to worship the name of Jesus. And let me tell you, it's humbling when you go out into the world. You can be a missionary right here in your own town. It's humbling when you go out into the world and talk to people about Jesus. And when you see someone, it finally clicks. They won't come to church because they're afraid of hypocrites. They won't come to church because it's not really popular. They won't come to church because they're trying to find their identity or they're trying to find their healing or whatever the world is telling them to do in some other area of their life. But then you start sharing with them the name of Jesus and all of a sudden something starts to click. They all of a sudden start realizing this is what I'm searching for. This is the person who can heal me. Not just make me whole as a person but spiritually he can bring me back to life and when you start sharing the name of Jesus you're going to get a lot of rejection a lot of people are going to say no I don't want to hear about that they're going to tell you to be quiet but when you finally get to that one person that realizes the power of the name of Jesus and you see that switch click it's all worth it it's so humbling when I see students when I see adults that give their hope put their faith in Jesus and how it's a dramatic change and then you watch them live their life and no longer are they hopeless that doesn't mean there's not bumps in the roads but they have a community they have a family but most of all they have a God that knows everything about them 
that wants to be a major part of their life. And guess what? They would never step foot in church until they heard the name of Jesus outside of church. Stop expecting a church to grow if all you do is sit in the pews on Sundays. Expect the church to grow when the people that are sitting in the pews do their job, walk out of here. It's not the pastor's job. That's just one part. The pastor's a part of that, but the whole church is a part of that. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are all called to get up and be a part of that. Stop waiting for people to come to Jesus. Take Jesus to them. Verse 11 through 12, it goes on. While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people, Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? We see three points in this. The first point is this. We can do nothing by our power. Man, I used to think I was all that sometimes. One time I was at this youth center, and I was shooting some pool with some guys, and one of my, my best friends I grew up with, he was there with me that night. He usually never came around, but he was there that night. And this one kid walks up to me, and he says, Hey, sir, are you a bodybuilder? Man, my ego went up. I thought, I, he's thinking I look strong, you know. And then my friend, he immediately leveled my ego back out by laughing and then saying, no, he's just fat. Which was true. So, but we can do nothing through our power. So many times we have this big ego we think that we can change the world that we're the ones we're God's gift to this world but none of us were God's gift to this world Jesus was and is God's gift to this world we all fall under the head of the church which is Jesus God's gift to this world and there is by no name can we do any of these miracles can we perform anything worthwhile in these ministries or profit anything of this world without the name of Jesus we can do nothing by our power Ephesians chapter 6 10 finally be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength there's a reason scripture time after time again tells us to be strong in the Lord because we are weak 2nd Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9 but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in weakness therefore I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may reside in me. Where does power come from? Not from our strength, because our strength is weakness in the eyes of God. But God's power is made known and testified of by how strongly he uses weak people like me, like you. The second point, we can do nothing through our godliness and that's a tough one to hear sometimes. We can do nothing through our godliness. Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14, Jesus tells this parable. Uh, 
And he said he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven but kept striking his chest saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Sometimes we get into that holier-than-thou stage. Look at how godly I am. Well, talking about how good you are does society in this world no good. Talking about how good God is is what leads people to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And that is so much better than anything we can do by talking about how godly we are. And the third point in this is we can do all these things through the name of Jesus. Colossians 3.17 says this, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If you have a Bible and you're reading that, I would underline everything. Your job, your marriage, your friends, the ministries you're a part of, everything should be in the name of Christ. There is power in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And finally, verse 13 through 16, it says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. So faith in the person of Jesus, believing that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's the son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins, that death could not hold him. So on the third day, he rose from the grave. And not only that, but to bring this all together after promising us new life, he also promised us that he would not leave us here, that he would come back for us. This faith leads to healing, sometimes physical but always spiritual healing. After preaching the faith uh, in the name of Jesus, Peter and John are arrested, and they're questioned the next day. And here's what they ask. By what power or in what name have you done this? So we read in Acts chapter 4, verse 8 through 12, Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, but, 
by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. So reading this passage today, here's the message to the Christians. There is no other name more important to proclaim than the name of Jesus. You want to know how the world has infiltrated the church today? We've become a political group almost, right? I hate to say this, but, and I don't want to sound political in doing this, but I've heard more Christians shout about a political group and try and get you to follow a certain political group more than I ever heard them talk about Jesus. Now, I'm not saying don't have an opinion on what's going on in this world. I'm not saying don't vote, don't do all of these different things. But I've heard more people on both sides of the aisle that are so passionate about sharing their beliefs and attaching a political party to that that we don't see sometimes that that's what's destroying this whole world around us. It's a political warfare. The reason this, this uh, great country, the United States of America, is, is going underground is because we're in the middle of this political warfare. We're more worried about what party you're affiliated with when if the church would just stand up and, for lack of better words, shut up about policies and things like that and start preaching the name of Jesus, I promise you we wouldn't have to argue about policies much longer because what happens when you introduce someone to Jesus they fall in line with his will right you want to see a country fall in line with the will of God stop trying to get them to join a political party and get them to join the family of God preach the name of Jesus more than you preach your school system more than you preach your political party more than you preach your job more than you preach how good your family is more than you preach financial status and and financial literacy all things can be important in life i'm not saying that there's no importance whatsoever in any of those things but we take all those things and we put them up here And a lot of times Jesus is way over there in our lives. And then we complain. What's going on? Why is this happening? Why are the churches so empty? Why are the schools going the way that they are? Why is the country going underground? It's because the church gave up a lot of their jobs and stopped preaching the name of Jesus out to this lost and dying world around us. So there's no other name more important for a Christian today to proclaim in the name of Jesus. So stop waiting for people to come to you or to ask you or to uh, debate against you and start proclaiming his name to this lost and dying world wherever you are. And today, maybe you're not a Christian. You've never put your faith in Christ. Today is the day of salvation for you. Don't wait any longer, but put your faith 
in him. Jesus Christ of Nazareth was a man that came to this world and he proclaimed these things. I am the son of God. I will die for your sins, but I will rise from the grave and I am coming back for you. And so as C.S. Lewis writes, Jesus is who he says he is or he's a raving lunatic. You must choose. Jesus wants a relationship with you today. Whether you're here this morning and you have not put your faith in Christ, I encourage you, come up here, talk to me a little bit more about what it means to take that step of faith and put your faith in him today and let him transform your life. And if you're watching this a little bit later on on Facebook, please send us a message. I want to talk to you a little bit more about what it means to become a follower of Christ. But thank you all so much for being here this morning. If you would, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this day and bringing us together. And I thank you for your son Jesus. That through his name and through what he did here in this world, that when we call upon him, we, we can expect and, and rest assured that there will be an answer, and that answer is salvation, eternal life in him. So, Father, help us walk boldly in your promises. Help us to preach the name of Jesus boldly, no matter what the cost is. And, Father, if there's anyone here today that has not put their faith in your Son, continue to call on them. And, Father, use us where necessary to help lead them closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Every week has its trials and tribulations, and we want to encourage you to seek Christ during those times. We want to pray for you during those times. So look us up on Facebook by typing in Faith168 Podcast and send us a message. It can be a prayer request, or maybe you want us to answer a question that you've been contemplating. Just send us a message. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we will see you again in 168 hours.